So we're going to dig into the text in Matthew 4. We're going to pick up in verse 19, but let's open with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you, Lord. We ask now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Lord, as we deal with the issue of pride, something that we all struggle with to varying degrees, the thing that keeps more people out of heaven than anything else is pride. And Lord, we're going to see just a miraculous story of Nebuchadnezzar and just how you took a man who was so prideful and so self-centered and so arrogant, wanted to be worshiped, and amazingly, you turned him into a man who surrendered his life to you. So Lord, may we learn from that example. Lord, be our teacher this morning. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name. We pray and all God's people said... Amen. So Daniel 4 is a very unique scripture chapter in the Bible, because if you were here for Daniel 2 and 3, we met a man by the name, well, he's actually in chapter 1 as well, by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon, and Babylon in those days had become the most powerful kingdom on the planet. And Nebuchadnezzar was a very, uh, you know, very dominant king. If you didn't do things his way, you could be put to death without even thinking about it. It was him that came three different waves to take captive those people in Jerusalem. And the reason they were taken captive is they had turned their backs on God. So God allowed the Babylonians to come and bring judgment. And when he came, he killed many of the people, but he also took back the things that were best, including the best people. And he took Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael among them. In chapter one, we saw that Nebuchadnezzar was going to elevate them into a position of authority, but when he tried to feed them things that were contrary to the word, Daniel said if he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. This 13 or 14-year-old boy made a decision that even if it cost him his life, he was not going to dishonor God. You get to chapter 2, and in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And to show you the kind of man he was, he couldn't remember all the details of the dream. So he calls his wise men in, the people from Pagan University, where they made Daniel go, where they have all this nonsense. They were taught sorcery and witchcraft and magic. And he calls them all in and says, you need to tell me what my dream is and interpret it, or I'm going to kill you. That's kind of pressure. And so what happens is they can't. They said, only the gods can do that. So he starts killing all his wise men. Well, they go get Daniel. He's only been in Pagan University for a year. He's probably 15 years old. They bring him before the king, and he tells the king, God will show me. Give me a, give me a minute. What did Daniel go do after that? He went and gathered with his guys. They prayed together. They sought the Lord. God showed him what the dream was and showed him the interpretation. He comes back and shares it with Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is blown away, and at the end of the chapter, he says, your God is God. We're going to worship your God. Then he gets to chapter 3. And about 15 years went by, and now we see Nebuchadnezzar building a statue unto himself and telling everybody that when the music plays, you bow down and worship me, worship this image of me, and if you don't, we will throw you in the fiery furnace. And as we saw a couple of weeks ago, we know that Daniel must have been away on business, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow. And Nebuchadnezzar brings them in, and he's screaming at them, who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? He dares them, and they say, look, we will not bow to this image. Our God will deliver us, but even if not, we will never bow. And Nebuchadnezzar is losing his mind, and like I said, I can envision the veins popping in his neck and his forehead, right? And he's screaming, heated up seven times hotter, and what happens, they're thrown into the fiery fire. They look into the fire, and they don't see three bound Jewish boys burning up. Instead, they see them walking around in the fire, and the fourth, a fourth one in there with them in the likeness of? 
the Son of God. It was Jesus in the fire with them. And he went from, who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands to come out, come out, you servants of the Most High God. And so we see that at the end of that chapter, again, he says, your God is God. Now we get to chapter four, and Nebuchadnezzar writes a chapter of the Bible. This is mind-blowing. It's in Daniel, but almost all of this chapter is written by Nebuchadnezzar himself, this evil pagan king who at moments had said, your God is God, but also wanted to be God himself. Now, a testimony is a powerful thing, and you all have one if you're born again. A testimony is, here's who I was, then I met Jesus, and here's who I am now because of him. And that's our testimony. We all should have that. And we saw the beginning of that last week as Nebuchadnezzar begins to let them know that he had yet another dream. And he tells the details of the dream. And we're going to see that Nebuchadnezzar is going to be extremely transparent because we're going to see him write about his own humiliation. And he's going to talk about the fact that he deserved it. And at the end of the chapter, some some might disagree with me. I believe that Nebuchadnezzar gives his life to God and I believe we're going to see him in heaven. Now that's mind-blowing for the guy who was throwing, you know, followers of Almighty God into a fire, from one who was taking them captive, from one who was putting them to death. It's almost an Old Testament version of Saul of Tarsus. And so I'm going to read verses 1 through 18 quickly. I want you to hear, you know, I'm not going to read it. We don't have as much time. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to tell you an outline on, the, on that, and then we'll look at it as he repeats it. So in verses 1 through 3, he's going to recognize the greatness of God. So Nebuchadnezzar's writing it, and he's talking about the greatness of God. Now, this is a sign of that God's doing a work in his heart, and he's going to talk about, he talks about how great God is. I'll read those three. He says, Nebuchadnezzar the king, to all the peoples and nations and languages that dwell on the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the most high God has worked for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. Does that sound like a pagan king? This is what happens when almighty God gets a hold of an unbeliever. Amen. When God gets a hold of us, he transforms us. It's not who we were, it's who we become. Now verses 4 through 18, he's going to recount this dream that he has had. And now we're going to pick up in verse 19, and we're going to see Daniel giving the interpretation of that dream. Now, before we do, I want to talk about what the main focus of this chapter really is, and it's pride. And pride is the self-absorbed, self-focused, have no care or concern for others. You see only events and how they impact you. You know, pride is something that destroys more marriages, it destroys more lives, it destroys more people than anything else. It's pride that got Lucifer and all the demons thrown out of heaven. And we all hate pride in other people. It's nauseating when we see it in other people. There's few things more nauseating when somebody's arrogant and self-righteous and do you know who I am? You know, just, just want just to throw up. But yet we all struggle with it to some degree. Can I get an amen to that? We all struggle with pride to some degree. So the Bible tells us that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It also says it is better to be a lowly spirit with with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. The Bible also says that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. As is often the case, it's going to require King Nebuchadnezzar's complete and total humiliation before the king will come to the end of himself, 
look up and surrender his life to the Lord. That's what has to happen sometimes. There has to be complete and total humiliation. You have to lose everything. You have to come to the end of yourself, find yourself in a place where your pride won't fix it, when your arrogance won't fix it. Nothing you can do can change the situation you're in, and you come to a place where you finally cry out to God. And you know what? We need to pray in our own lives. Lord, humble me if I need to be humbled to take away the things that take my eyes off of you. Amen? We need to be people who seek first the kingdom of God, who deny ourselves, take up the cross and follow him and not walk around in arrogance. It is better to be humiliated, broken, and redeemed in the face of the judgment of of self-absorbed pride. And so we're going to see in Nebuchadnezzar these ultimate pictures of what pride can do. And my prayer is that it will be an exhortation to all of us as we think about how much we think about ourselves. Again, pride is thinking more highly of myself than I ought to. It's focusing on myself. And again, humility isn't thinking bad of yourself. It's just not thinking of yourself at all. Guys, it's not about us. It's about him. Amen? It's Jesus, others, yourself, and that's where we get joy. So if you have your outline, grab it. And I tell the message, from from prideful humiliation to joyous salvation. From prideful humiliation to joyous salvation. Here's our six points. Number one, we need spiritually mature friends that love us enough to stab us in the front. Can I get an amen to that? What that means is we need people in our life that will love us enough that when we are being prideful, when we are you know, walking away from the Lord, when our relationship with God is not where it needs to be, that they will love us enough to lovingly and kindly stab us in the front in Jesus' name. Amen? We'll come and say, bro, what's up with you? How in the world did you get here? I'm here to pray for you, but I'm also here to call you out and let you know that, you know what, you continue down this path, it's going to be painful. Those to lovingly confront us when we are in sin, that we might repent and be restored. We're going to see a kind of a David moment. Remember when Nathan came up to David, when David had, you know, he gives him an analogy. He was talking about when he took Bathsheba away from, his, from her husband and had him put to death. And Nathan comes up and tells him this whole story. And he's like, kill that man. He goes, thou art the man. We're going to have a thou art the man moment when it's you, O king, between Daniel and and Nebuchadnezzar. Point number two, the Lord loves you enough to humble you and bring you to the end of yourself, to understanding that it's no escape, the right, there is no escape from the righteous judgment of God, that you might realize your desperate need for him and look up. God loves you enough to humble you when you need it, and we all need it from time to time. Amen? It's when we walk in our self-assurance that we cease to be desperate for God, and we cease to be desperate, we cease to be usable. Number three, Break off your sins by being righteous. That's the exact quote of what Daniel is going to say to Nebuchadnezzar. See, true repentance isn't only a change of heart, it's a change of behavior. Guys, it's one thing to say you're sorry because you got caught and then continue in the behavior. It's another thing to truly repent, be disgusted by what you've done, turn away from it, and surrender your life to the Lord and have your behavior change. Amen? So it's not I'm sorry, it's I'm repentant and I've transformed my life and again, belief should be reflected in how we behave, and real, real repentance transforms us from the inside out. Number three, number four, pride goes before destruction. The Bible says to humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Or you can remain humble, arrogant, and self-centered, and you'll be humbled by Almighty God. You either humble yourself, or God will humble you. And I promise you, it's better when you do it yourself. Amen? It's better when you come humbly before the Lord, because if you do not humble yourself, the Lord loves you enough to humble you. Amen? Number five, 
responding to humiliation with repentance. We can respond to being humbled by God with either a hardened heart or brokenness and repentance. Sometimes when people are humbled by God, they shake their fists at God. They're angry with God. They're, they're, they're crying out against him. And guys, when God humbles us, he's always got an after story he wants. He wants to humble us so he can restore us and he can use us. He doesn't humble us for no reason. And so when God humbles us, may we be broken. May we respond instead of being angry with God, being repentant before God. And then number six, I just said it. God humbles us not to destroy us, but to restore us. Let's pick up there in verse 19 of Daniel chapter four. First thing we're going to see, we need spiritually mature friends that love us enough to stab us in the front. So he's just shared his entire dream. Let's read verse 18. He says, this dream I, Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belteshazzar, who's that? That's Daniel. Belteshazzar, declare its interpretation, since all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy God is in you. I can think of very few greater compliments you could ever be given than having a pagan king say to you, for the, holy, the spirit of the holy God dwells within you. He had seen repeatedly Daniel rep- uh, interpreting dreams, Daniel standing up and saying, I'm not going to defile myself. Daniel was a man of God. He was a man of his word. He was a faithful man. And now when this king needs an answer and the sorcerers and the magicians and all the pagans don't have answers, he runs to the one who he knows does and he calls him forward. And this is a part of his testimony. And so now Daniel is going to respond to his dream. Look what it says in verse 19. And Daniel, whose name is Belteshazzar, was astonished for a time, and his thoughts troubled him. Now what's interesting, Daniel seems to receive the interpretation of the dream almost immediately, and it impacts Daniel immediately. He is astonished, and his thoughts trouble him. Daniel was King Nebuchadnezzar's prime minister, if you will. And even though King Nebuchadnezzar had been an evil man, largely we can see that Daniel actually cares about him, has a burden for him. And when he gets the interpretation of the dream, he recognizes it's not going to be good for Nebuchadnezzar. And when he understands what it is, he's troubled. So much so that it must have shown in his countenance, because we're going to see Nebuchadnezzar say, look at the rest of verse 19, Belshazzar, this is Nebuchadnezzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation trouble you. Belteshazzar answered, my Lord, may the dream concern those who hate you and its interpretation concern your enemies. He's like, look, I understand. I know what the dream means. And my prayer is it's not about you. It's about your enemies. But he knows it's about the king. And he's going to tell him that it is. But notice that Belshazzar, uh, Daniel, is told by Nebuchadnezzar, look, don't let it trouble you. Here's what he's saying. Look, I'm not going to kill you. Tell me what the dream means. Tell me what it means. It's okay. And Daniel is going to do that. And you know what? As men and women of God, we need to be unashamed to tell people the truth. Amen? We need to be able to do it. Do it in love. Notice he loves Nebuchadnezzar, but he's not going to withhold the truth because he's, he's fearful. Look, we need to tell people the truth. We need to stab them in the front so they might repent, be restored. Amen? And we're not doing anybody any favors to look the other way when they're walking in open rebellion and sin. And God, please, I invite you, if I'm doing that, please, Bring the biggest knife you got and come stab me in the front. Really? 
Because, guys, we don't want to continue on in it. And it's only those who love you the most that will get out of their comfort zone and come confront you when you need to be confronted. See, the first dream had elevated the king. Back in Daniel chapter 2, the first dream, Daniel told him he was the head of gold. And that was a good dream to tell the king, you're the head of gold. Really? You know, and the king's like, I like this dream. Keep telling me about it. And, but this time, instead of a, a dream that's going to elevate him, it's a dream that's going to bring him low, that's going to be debase him. In spite of all the king's past prideful and murderous actions, again, Daniel had become his friend. The word astonished there, when he, when he heard about the dream, is stunned or appalled. And his thoughts troubled him. The word troubled is alarmed or frightened. He genuinely cared for the king, but yet he was astonished and troubled, so much so, again, that evidently the king could see it in him, and he told him, look, just tell me the dream. It's okay. He's saying, but I wish it was for your enemies and those that hate you. Verse 20, the tree that you saw, which grew and became strong. So in his dream, he saw this mighty tree and it grew strong. And there were birds, if you were here last week, birds were nesting in it. There was shade below it. And in his dream, that tree gets cut down. And so he's letting him know what this tree is. So the tree you saw, which grew and became strong, whose height reached to the heavens, which could be seen by all the earth. So this tree is so great that the whole earth can see it. This is clearly speaking of Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom. Babylon was the greatest kingdom on the earth. Nebuchadnezzar was the most powerful man on the earth, the most feared man on the earth. And so this dream is about him. Then he says this in verse 21, whose leaves were lovely, its fruit was abundant, in which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and whose branches the birds of the heavens had their home. Okay, so here's the, it's the tree. He knows, because he shared the dream with Daniel, he knows this tree gets cut down. He knows this tree is going to be left with nothing but a stump and bound, uh, bound up as a stump. And then he says this, it's you, O king. That's stabbing your brother in the front. Amen? That's Daniel or Nathan saying to David, thou art the man. It's you, O king. He loves him. He cares for him, but he's not going to water down the truth because he knows that what's more important than anything else is that Nebuchadnezzar be humbled and come to know Almighty God. Amen? See, we don't want to just be popular with our friends and tell them what they want to hear. And we need to love people enough to shoot straight with them. Now, speak the truth, but always do it in love. But lovingly, we need to tell somebody, you're out of line. You need to get right with God. You continue down this path. It's going to be destructive. And it's far better that we do that, even if we're going to have to risk a friendship to do it. I would rather risk a friendship and help somebody get right with God than tell them what they want to hear and let them continue on their relationship further and further away from the Lord in a pathway that can lead to their total destruction. Amen? So we need to love people enough to tell them the truth. And guys, we're all family here. I hope you all know, if you're new here, you already, I already love you. So I love everybody here. I love you. I pray for you. I love you. I would die for any one of you. But because of that, I'm always going to tell you the truth. I promise. And because I love you, I want God's highest for you. And I'm not going to just tell you what you want to hear. We had a few people that heard things they didn't want to hear last week, and they're probably gone forever, but that's okay. The reality is that we want to, we want to speak the truth, do it in love. And that's exactly what Daniel's doing. He's like, King, it's you. It's you. We all need godly brothers and sisters who love us enough to tell us the truth. We may not always like it, but we need it. Amen? Amen. 
And these first three verses speak of the greatness of his kingdom, his strength, his abundance, his power. He rules the world. Then he says in the rest of that verse, who have grown and become strong for your greatness has grown and reaches the heavens and your dominion to the end of the earth. So far, that's pretty good. But guess what? Doesn't end there. Point number two, the Lord loves you enough to humble you and bring you to the end of yourself. Look at verse 23. And inasmuch as the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave its stump and its roots in the earth, bound by a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven. Let him graze with the beasts of the field till seven times pass over. This is a decree of the Most High, it says. A watcher, an angelic being, is going to come down and destroy this. See, kingdoms may be great compared to other earthly kingdoms, but they're nothing compared to the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen? And when people get puffed up, and we're going to see him later doing this, talking about how great his kingdom is, and this is why I love being an American. I'm as patriotic as they get, but my faith is not in the United States of America. My faith is in Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. Amen? And that's a kingdom that will never be destroyed. That's a kingdom that will never be overthrown. That's a kingdom where he will rule and reign forever. He will spend a thousand years reigning with him upon the earth. I can't wait for the millennial kingdom. And I'm looking forward to eternity in heaven with Almighty God. There's no more pain, sorrow, death, suffering, no more devil, no more temptation, no more sin. But while we're here, we need to finish strong, be about it for the kingdom of God. We want to see as many people as possible go to heaven with us. Amen? And that's the exhortation, and this is not just an opinion of a messenger or some angelic being. This is a decree. This is a message, an official order issued by the one in authority. It's from Almighty God. Almighty God has something to say to you, king. That's pretty powerful. This doesn't happen in my life very often, but it happened a couple weeks ago. I met a guy. I had to take my car in for a recall, and I met a guy on the lot who was selling cars. I wasn't looking to buy one. I was just wasting time. I had a uh, I have a Christian hat that says man of faith. He started talking to me about the Lord. And then he said he wanted to, he said, man, we should get together for lunch. He also pastors a church in Van Nuys. So we started talking. A week later, I meet with him. He sits me down. I won't go into the details because it's kind of personal stuff. But he said, I have four things I think the Lord wants me to tell you. And when you hear that, you think, okay. I mean, you're hopeful, right? I'll tell you what, it was on the money. Number one, number two, number three, number four. And I said, that's the Lord. And you know what, though? Sometimes when you get that message, in this case, they were all encouraging. Part of it was dealing with the grief of my son and some other things we're going through. And it was very encouraging for my wife as well. Now, sometimes, though, God will bring someone to tell you something that's not necessarily encouraging. It's going to be something that exhorts you, something that rebukes you. Well, that's exactly what's going to happen here. Here's a message from the Lord, Nebuchadnezzar. This is from Almighty God, the greatest of all authorities. He has something to tell you. And now Daniel is going to be faithful to share the truth. This is what he says in verse 24. He said, this is the interpretation, O king. This is a decree from the Most High, which has come upon my Lord, the king. So this decree has come upon from Almighty God. There's no escape. There's no way out. So too is the righteous judgment of God upon all who reject the free gift of salvation. Nobody is going to escape the righteous judgment of God apart from receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and allowing him to pay the price for you that you could not pay. Any other way, you're going to face the righteous judgment of God. Amen? It's inescapable. 
You're either going to spend eternity in heaven with Almighty God or eternity in hell separated from Him. So the tree will be cut off, but not totally rejected for seven years. So you know the dream that is from God and it's for you. So what does it mean? So you know the dream. You told me the dream. I'm going to give you the interpretation now. You need to know it's coming from the Lord and need to hold on and be ready because here it comes. Verse 25, they shall drive you from men. Your dwelling place shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven and seven times shall pass over till you know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives to whomever he chooses. You have a great kingdom, but it's only because God gave it to you. You have a great kingdom, not because you're great, because, but because a great God blessed you with it. He is the one who raises up and sets down, and he chooses the lowly, and you're one of the lowly he chose, so it's really not about you. And by the way, you're about to be humbled big time. You're going to go from living in the palace and being the most powerful man on earth to living like a wild animal. You're going to be like a beast. You're going to be eating from the ground. It says seven times pass over for seven years. King Nebuchadnezzar is going to leave the palace and be living like a dog. He's going to be a beast eating from the ground. We're going to see later that his fingernails are going to grow like claws and his hair is going to be like feathers. And he's going to be an absolute wild man for seven years. And he's going to remain there. I'm giving it away until he looks up. He's going to be humbled until he looks up. And God will put us in places of humiliation, wanting us to look up. His desire is always that we would repent. But praise God that he loves us enough. Those who the Lord loves, he disciplines. Amen? And so for Nebuchadnezzar, who at this point has repeatedly said, well, your God is God, but it's not his God yet. Well, your God is God, but you know what? He needs to be your God too. Amen? Can't just be my God. So when Daniel explained this, Nebuchadnezzar, he probably couldn't guess just how little this is going to be from the king of the greatest kingdom to a madman who would be reduced to the behavior of a wild beast for seven years, eating grass on all fours, out in the weather, without understanding, hair like eagle's feathers, nails like birds, uh, a bird's claws. He will have gone insane. Whenever I read this, I always think of somebody, this will date me a little bit. Anybody remember Howard Hughes? How did Howard Hughes end? He looked like Nebuchadnezzar in a hospital room instead of out in the field. He had fingernails that were crazy. He was completely out of control. This guy at one point was the richest man in the world, created airlines, and he had all the women, all the money, all the fame, everything he could possibly have, and he dies in a room like a beast. And that's what's going to happen to Nebuchadnezzar. He's going to go from this place of power and authority that has so filled him up. We'll see his arrogance in a minute that he has to be brought low. But you know what? No amount of humiliation is too much to get us right with God. It's all worth it. Amen? I pray that often for people that are really far away. Lord, do whatever you got to do. Put them in prison if you have to. Have them get a, a terminal disease so they'll look, Lord, whatever it takes. Because guys, if we have an eternal perspective, any temporary humiliation is always worth it to bring us back to the Lord. Amen? So evidently, somehow, he's going to be hidden away from the public maybe within the grounds of the palace tended to by his servants. He may be one of the reasons his, he, he writes this letter to share with people where he was for seven years. He, he's writing this after it's over. 
We're going to see how it ends. He's actually sharing this testimony with everyone. And for seven years, he was no doubt hidden from his kingdom, and he was tended to somehow, maybe, you know, in a field outside. The, I don't know where he was, but wherever he was, the people didn't realize it. And they hid it from them because he's going to be king again in the end. And so now he's writing this letter, and he's being super transparent. This is what happened to me. A lot of times when we've been humiliated, we don't want anybody to know. Amen? But you know what? Sometimes our humiliation is something that God will use to encourage somebody else. And so we know that God's going to do that. He says, till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whoever we choose, as we get a glimpse of the depths of his pride, as it will take seven years of complete and total humiliation and madness to bring this man to the end of himself, to recognize that Almighty God rules not him. He thought he was in charge. No, you're not. God is. And the same is true of every politician on this planet. They need to know God's on the throne, not you. Can I get an amen to that? And that's what gives me peace and gives me hope when I see some of the nuts we've got running countries. <laughs> but it's good to know that God is faithful and that God is greater. And God even puts people in positions of authority to bring about his ultimate will in his perfect time. Amen? It is God alone who puts people there, and the kingdom was not his. It was God who put him in the place of authority, and God who would be the one to bring him down. And Nebuchadnezzar could have avoided all this humiliating fate if he had just humbled himself. If he had humbled himself after the fiery furnace and went, he said, your God is God. And if he had followed up and said, that's it, I'm following your God, I'm in. I surrender. We'll put God on the throne. He didn't do that. If he had, he would have saved this humiliation. If back in chapter two, when Daniel interpreted the dream and he said, your God is God, if he had meant it, if he had followed that, he would have avoided this humiliation. See, God loves you enough that if we don't come humbly on our own, he is willing to humiliate us in hopes that we will turn our lives to him. The Bible says to humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. God is giving Nebuchadnezzar, he's gonna give him a year to humble himself. We're gonna read this whole dream and then he's going to have a year to get right with God. And we already know he's not going to do it. And God will often give us time to get right with God. And by, by the way, God's grace is not God's permission. Just because you haven't been caught in your sin doesn't mean that your sin is okay with God. Amen? Because there is a time coming when it's going to come into the light. It always does. Your sin will always find you out. Amen? And what will happen is, well, well, I've been doing this for a month and nobody's caught me. Well, I've been doing this for a year. No one's caught me. So I guess it's okay. Guys, God suffers long, but he won't suffer always. Amen? Point number three, break off your sins by being righteous. So here's what he tells him. He's letting him know, this is the dream. This is what's going to happen to you. You're going to be like a beast for seven years. And then he says this in verse 26. And as much as they gave the command to leave the stump and the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you after you come to know that heaven rules. Now here's a word of encouragement. Yeah, you're going you're gonna to be a dog eating grass for seven years. But in the end, he's going to restore your kingdom to you. Those are words of encouragement. But you know what? He's only going to restore it to him after he repents. He's only going to restore it to him after he looks up and surrenders to the Lord. See, as we walk in sin, we can destroy everything. We can destroy our marriage, destroy our family, lose our jobs, destroy every, our, our reputation, destroy it all. But you know what's good is when we surrender our lives to the Lord, he can restore it all. Amen? We can take a million steps away from God. It truly is only one step back. While you will lose your mind for seven years and become like an animal, your kingdom will be held for you when you surrender to the Lord. 
Guys, with God, there's always an after. Both in times of trials and divine discipline, God is always at work to do something in you and through you. Your trials and, and divine discipline are not for, for nothing. So whatever that thing we're going through, whatever those trials are, including grief, finances, health issues, know that God is going to use it for his glory, if you will, but let him. No suffering is wasted. It's all a part of God's ultimate plan. Our question to him is not, why are you letting this happen? But how do you want to use this for your kingdom and for your glory? Amen? And so as he's going through this, God is going to use this. Nebuchadnezzar is going to be eaten like a dog. How could you imagine seven years later that God would use it, but God is going to use it? This brother gets to write a chapter in the Bible, man. You know how many godly people never got to write a word in the Bible? And you got Nebuchadnezzar writing a whole chapter of the Bible. Look at verse 27. It says, Therefore, O king, therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous, and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. Here's what he's telling them. You're going to face seven years of this humiliation, but you might want to repent now, and maybe God will extend your prosperity. Maybe there's still a way to avoid this ultimate humiliation, but it's going to require your repentance. It's going to require you being faithful. It's going to require you to stop taking advantage of people and start blessing them instead, to break off to turn away from your sin, that God may bless you. Daniel is a good preacher. He presses home the application. Repent. Perhaps it's not too late. Break off your sins is the right reaction to the threat of judgment. It, you know, the right reaction to a threat of judgment is always humble repentance. Always. Knowing that judgment could be coming, the response is always repentance. It's always humility coming before Almighty God. We might think that Nebuchadnezzar had more reason than most to be proud. After all, he was a great king, but it's his pride that is going to lead to his great humiliation. Again, Nebuchadnezzar was not only being counseled, uh, not only counseled to stop sinning, but also to practice, practice righteousness. Guys, it's not enough just to walk away from the sinful behavior that you're caught up in. We need to replace that with faithfully serving the Lord instead. Amen? It's not enough just to forsake your sin, but to surrender to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm done with that. I'm turned away. I've repented. Lord, I want to serve you. Where I, was, where I was using my gift for the world, I want to use it for your kingdom now. I want to honor you, Lord. I want to serve you faithfully. Guys, I want to, I want to live something and have something that's going to outlast this life. Everything else in this world is wood, hay, and stubble. It's all chaff. It's all going to burn. You know, everybody that's fighting over stuff in the world, they're fighting over deck chairs and the Titanic. It's all going down. Get on the lifeboat and get to heaven with Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? And so we're going to see now that he's going to give him, break off the sin. He's been exhorted. Now pride goes before destruction. Here we go. Look at verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of the 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon, and the king spoke, king spoke saying, Now, this is great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling for my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty. He's got the I, my, my disease, right? I, my, I, my, me, look at me, I'm great, look at me, I'm great, look at me, I'm great. Now, he didn't hear anything Daniel really had to say. 
It's been a year later, and the judgment hasn't come yet, so maybe he doesn't think it's coming. And he's walking around praising himself. Look how great I am. Look how great this kingdom is. Look at the size of the walls I've built. Look at all these statues that are up. You know, it's interesting uh, when they uncovered uh, Babylon that every brick said, Babylon under the rule of Nebuchadnezzar. No, I'm not arrogant at all. Every brick's got my name on it. It's all about me. And so he, he was warned. He was warned. He heard it. He knew the dream. He knew Daniel had the Holy Spirit. He told him the judgment was coming from God. And what does he do? A year later, he's forgotten it all. I'm great. Look at me. My power. My majesty. Now, let's see how God feels about that. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Amen? After being given the interpretation of the dream, God's judgment is coming. Your kingdom will only be given back to you. And after Daniel's exhortation, after he told him to break off from his sin, to respond to the threat of the judgment with humble repentance that combined... Uh, with Daniel's revealing of the interpretation of his dream in Daniel 2, the fiery furnace in chapter 3, all of that has been shown to him. After witnessing the power of God, receiving a divine warning from the Lord, giving a year to repent, the king spoke saying, is not this great Babylon that I have built? I is a middle letter in sin and pride. After all he had seen of God's mighty power, he is as prideful as ever. Now watch what happens. God suffers long, won't suffer always, verse 31. While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. Look at my kingdom. Look how great I am. Me, my, I, my, I, my, me, my. Voice from heaven. Kingdom's taken from you. Why? Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit for a fall. God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. He gave him opportunities to repent. He gave him a year after he was warned to repent. He continued to walk in his pride. God suffers long, but he won't suffer always. Nebuchadnezzar refuses to repent, remains prideful and arrogant, and God's righteous judgment comes upon him. Look what it says in verse 32, and they shall drive, from, they shall drive you from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen seven times. Verse 33, verse 32, rest of it. Seven times shall pass over you till you know that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men and gives to whomever he chooses. That very hour, the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men. He ate grass like oxen. His body was wet, which means he was outside in the, you know, in the weather, with dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird claws. He became Hugh Hefner or Hugh Howard Hughes. Same difference. <laughs> same difference. In the same hour that he took credit, he was brought to the end of himself. You know, when Satan, we see that text in Isaiah where, seven, where Satan says, I shall be like the Most High. I, 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 I. God brings him low. Guys, we need to not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. We're all sinners in desperate need of a Savior. 
Without him, we're all wicked, vile individuals. Can I get an amen to that? There's none righteous, no, not one. He's a loving, gracious, and merciful God. And, and so he's going to be brought to the end of himself, driven from the very people he ruled over. While God suffered long, again, giving him every opportunity to repent. When his judgment came, it was swift. And so too, God is suffering long with this world, but I believe the judgment when it comes is going to be swift. You know, we, we, we keep thinking God's just delaying his time, but there's a time coming when it's all going to come to an end. Point number five, responding to humiliation with repentance. So he lets him know this is what's going to happen. And so now he endures seven years of crawling around in the mud and eating grass. This guy who went from being the most powerful man on the earth. You know what's interesting to me, by the way? Uh, Saddam Hussein, he said he wanted to build a new Babylon. And he wanted to be a modern day Nebuchadnezzar. I find it interesting when they found him, he was in a hole. He did become the modern-day Nebuchadnezzar. He was on the ground, in the dirt, when he got captured. So here's Nebuchadnezzar. We see what happens. Now watch what Nebuchadnezzar does. Watch what God does. Seven years is going to pass. Seven years of insanity. Seven years of living like an animal. And look at verse 34. It's not too late to repent. Responding to humiliation with repentance. And at the end of that time, this is him writing. I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me. The first thing I want you to see is, until you look up, you don't understand anything. Amen? That's why the world doesn't understand. The world doesn't get it. Amen? When you talk to people and it's so clear, you just want to jump up, don't you see this? And they're just like, I don't know. They don't understand. Because you don't understand until you look up first. Amen? It's what, he is the one that gives us all understanding. We're all idiots prior to knowing God, and we're still idiots after God compared to God, amen? But the reality is understanding. Don't you understand everything now that you've come to know the Lord? Now, again, there are things in life that we struggle with, but we understand now. We get it. We understand God's ultimate plan. We know that in the end, God wins. It brings peace to our life. And if you didn't know the Lord, I'd be wearing seven masks too and scared half to death of everything. But because I know the Lord, I don't have to fear anything, amen? We can walk in a hole in a grave. And so he looks up and he finally understands. For seven years, he's down here scratching and clawing and eating dirt. And all of a sudden, he looks up and he gets it. His mind comes back to him. He has understanding. He has clarity. Finally, he understood when he looked up, when he looked to the Lord. So often, we must come to the end of ourselves before we are willing to look up. It says, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. Now, this is repentance because if I just spent seven years eating grubs and being insane and waking up with claws and, you know, my hair's out of control, I might say, what were you doing to me here? Instead, he praises God because when he looks up, he understands who God is. And he understands why God allowed this to happen in his life. He understands why he had to be humiliated so he could come to the end of himself and come to know who the true and living God is. To walk away from the me, my, and I, itis and surrender his life to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The first thing he did after looking up and his sanity returned, he blessed, praised, and honored the Lord. Nebuchadnezzar could only see the truth about himself after he saw the truth about God. See, we don't understand who we are until we understand who God is. When we understand who God is, we understand we are created in his image. We understand that we, he, he created us. He breathed life into us. He desires to have a relationship with us. 
And, and the reason we live and move and breathe is to know him and to make him known. But we don't understand any of that until we understand who he is. So we first must understand who God is. And Nebuchadnezzar, again, had built a statue, wanted to be worshipped as God. And he now understands that there is a God and it's not him. Amen? Two undeniable facts. There is a God and you're not him. There is no true understanding without knowing the Lord. Without knowing the Lord, we don't understand who we are. We don't understand why we're here. We're all spiritually dead. Our lives have no meaning. We're hopeless, helpless, and lost. And when we come to know the Lord, we're born again. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. We're new creations in Christ. We're citizens of heaven. We're adopted into God's family. We have the promise of heaven, and our lives have meaning, purpose, and calling. Amen? Now, notice what he says here at the end of verse 34, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom from generation to generation. He's no longer talking about his kingdom. Now he's talking about his kingdom. He's no longer talking about what he's accomplished and how great he is. He's talking about how great God is. See, that's the mark of true repentance when the focus is no longer on me, and then he focused on me as recognizing how desperately I need to be saved, and all the glory and all the honor and all the praise goes to Almighty God always, amen? From taking credit for the kingdom he built to recognizing it's God's kingdom that always has, it always has been and always will be. Verse 35, all the, all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, he does according to his will in the army of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth, no one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? Boy, I love this. He just spent seven years as a beast in the field, and he's saying nobody can say to God, what have you done? Nobody can look up to God and question God. You can certainly do it, but it's fruitless. All the inhabitants of the earth are nothing, from proclaiming his own greatness to recognizing we're all nothing compared to God. Now, there's a balance here. You are the pearl of great price. The Bible says there's a parable where man goes and sells all he has to buy a field for the one pearl that he knows is buried in that field. That's us. Almighty God sent his son, gave up everything, lived a sinless, perfect life, suffered and died, went to the cross to pay the price so he could have us. So in God's eyes, we are very, 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 very valuable. He loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. Amen? That being said, apart from him, we're nothing. Amen? We're nothing. And he's letting them know. And this is a man who thought he was everything. And he's finally recognizing, compared to God, he's nothing. No one can restrain God from doing his will. I'm so thankful for that. Amen? He says, nobody can keep God from doing his will. God's will will be done no matter what happens in the Middle East, no matter what happens in the White House, no matter who's elected in the next election, no matter how many riots take place, no matter how many, you know, how, how many people are in the streets going crazy. It doesn't matter. God's will is going to be done. God's will. God is faithful. He wins. We're on team God. Yay, God. Amen? In the end, we win. And God is faithful, and it should take away all that fear. So he goes from being an arrogant king to a humble servant. Two verses after he wakes up and, it, okay, you're God, I'm not. You know what? We're all nothing compared to you. No one can tell you anything. We don't tell you what to do. You tell us what to do. That's repentance, amen? This is a guy, me, my, I, my, me, I'm, oh no, you, 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 you. Him, 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 amen? Not me anymore, him. I'm looking up and I'm praising his name. Final point. 
God humbles us, but that's not to, not to destroy us, but to restore us. When God brings divine discipline on believers, it's to restore us. But also when God allows people to go through difficulty, it's so they might come to the end of themselves and look up and surrender their lives to him. Last two verses. It says, at the same time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles resorted, resorted to me. I was restored to my kingdom and excellent majesty was added to me. So he was in the lowest place. He went from being the most powerful man on the planet to lower than a beast to back into a position of authority. But this time he's not the one that's reigning. It's still the Lord that's reigning. God put him in a place of authority, but he wants to honor God in that position of authority. It's like being a boss at work, be a good boss take care of your employees, but you're not the ultimate boss. God is. Amen? Being a pastor of a church just means servant. The pastor of this church is Jesus Christ. Amen? And we're just following him and serving him. And to him alone gives all the praise and the glory and the honor. You're his bride. You belong to him. You're precious to him. And so he's put back into a position of authority, but this time it's not with him focused on himself because look at the last verse. He says, now I Nebuchadnezzar, I'm back in a position of authority. I could have got me, my, and I-itis again, but that's not what happens. He says, now I Nebuchadnezzar praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all, all of whose works are truth and his ways justice, and those, all those who walk in pride, he is able to put down. And there's, if anybody knew that, it was Nebuchadnezzar. We, it's, all the praise belongs to him. All the glory belongs to him. All the honor belongs to him. All of his works are the truth. His ways are just, they're right. And all those who walk in pride, he is able to put down. He honors the true king. All of whose works are truth, whose ways are just. After seven years of being an insane beast being humbled by the Lord, he proclaims his ways are just. He said, yeah, he humbled me, but he was right. He made me eat like a, like a dog for seven years, but he's right. And you know what? Sometimes when God brings righteous judgment on us, one of the things we need to say is, Lord, you're right. Amen? I don't like, I don't like how this turned out, but this is my fault. You're right. You're God. You're just. You're faithful. Thank you, Lord, for loving me enough to even bring discipline when I need it. He suffered for seven years of judgment as pride, uh, pride from his pride, and it, it humbled him. And in the end, he comes to know that, all, that how to inherit eternal life. Because at the end here, look what he says. Doesn't this does not sound like a, I praise and extol and honor the kingdom of the king of heaven. All of his works are truth. Everything he says is the truth. Guys, when we recognize that he's the truth, we're on our way to salvation. Amen? His ways are just. And all who walk in pride he is able to put down. Now, here's what you need to understand. He wrote this after all this happened and shared it with everybody. That's a man who's been humbled. Amen? He went from a place where he wanted everyone to praise him. Now he's letting everybody know. Remember I was gone for seven years? I was a dog. <laughs> I was scratching around the ground. I looked like Howard Hughes. That was a mess. I was clawing like a, I looked like a crazy man. I lost my mind, and then I looked up, and God restored me. And guess what? He's the king. He's the one we worship. He's the one we praise. 
He's the one we extol. It's not about me. It's about him. Look, he humbles himself to the point of writing all this down and letting everybody know what happened to him. See, someone who was prideful wouldn't want anybody to know I was crazy for seven years. That's why I truly believe that Nebuchadnezzar did surrender his life to God, and I believe we're going to see him in heaven one day. Amen? Can I encourage you with this? Last point. Choose humility. Amen? It says in 1 Peter, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Humble yourselves is, an, is a command. You either choose to obey it or you don't. Keep choosing humility. You have a choice. You can either choose to cultivate humility or God might choose to do it for you. And if you walk around in arrogance and pride, pride goes before destruction. That is a promise. It's coming. You see the arrogant. They're arrogant for so long and then they lose it. Then the, the righteous judgment of God comes. I'll tell you one way to, to really stay humble. Serve others. Esteem others greater than yourself. Amen? Do things when it's uncomfortable, when you're tired. Esteem others greater than yourself. That's how humility comes from. Don't look to be served, but to serve. Amen? One of the greatest ways is serving others. Serving others is a healthy way that requires you to become other-centered instead of self-centered. It says in uh, Paul says this in Philippians, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but the interests of others. And there's no greater example of others centered than Jesus. Amen? We want to be like Christ. You can choose like Nebuchadnezzar to wander off the reservation, become proud in a little world that you've created for yourself. But, but God may choose to do to you as he did to Nebuchadnezzar to allow him to be humiliated that we might look up. Hey, if you're here this morning and you know that you're outside of God's will and the way you're living your life right now, I want to encourage you, repent, humble yourself before God before he has to come and do it for you. Amen? And may we be others focused. May we walk in humility. May we always give all the praise and all the glory and all the honor to the Lord. May we never take credit for anything because God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise and to him and him alone be all the glory. Amen? So from prideful humiliation to joyous salvation, we need spiritually mature friends that love us enough to stab us in the front. The Lord loves you enough to humble you and bring you to the end of yourself. The Lord would exhort us to break off your sins and by being righteous, honor the Lord, change your behavior. Know that pride goes before destruction. Respond to humiliation with repentance and God humbles us not to destroy us, but to restore us. Lord, we thank you for your word and Lord, we thank you for this example of the radical transformation of a prideful, arrogant, self-righteous king who sought to be worshiped who built statues unto himself, who praised his own name, who put his name on every brick in the city that he built. And he goes from being that man to a man who humbly confesses you, who praises your name, who points people to you, who shares his testimony as humiliating as it is so that others may come to know you. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We worship you. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name. We pray and all God's people said, amen. amen.